I am hosting a retreat in Tulum, Mexico, in paradise this October called Bloom in Tulum. It's a five-day, all-inclusive, personal and professional growth retreat for ambitious, big-hearted women who are ready to step into their power with grace, support, and confidence. So my two biz besties and I dreamed up this magical retreat over sushi a few months back, and after lots of planning, it's actually happening. We have mapped out a thoughtful itinerary with lots of downtime to make the most of this beautiful paradise beachside location and also set you up for a powerful and memorable experience of growth. There's only 20 spots available and all three of us are promoting it to our full community. So that's like over 50,000 people. So I imagine the spots will fill very quickly. If you are interested in joining us in Bloom and Tulum, go to bloomintulum.com for all the details and to complete your application. Also know that early bird pricing ends on June 30th. So it's a really good time to secure your spot and save some money. I mean, honestly, like how fun would it be to hang out in person at a gorgeous, luxurious, all-inclusive in October? So head to Bloom in Tulum. That's B-L-O-O-M in Tulum. T-U-L-U-M. Bloomintulum.com for all the details and complete your application. Most parents are very well attuned to the physical needs of children. However, the emotional needs is hard because of our upbringing. We didn't have this kind of language of needs. We're unaware of our own needs, let alone recognize those needs in our children. But honestly, in my work, when I identify those six needs, those are the reoccurring themes in, around difficult behaviors. You're listening to the Mindful Mama podcast, episode number 162. Today, we're talking about how to help children master their emotions with Anna Seewald. Welcome to the Mindful Mama podcast. Here, it's about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm your host, Hunter Clarkfield's Mindful Mama Mentor. I help smart, thoughtful moms and dads stay calm so they can have strong, connected relationships with their children. I've been practicing mindfulness for over 20 years. I'm the creator of the Mindful Parenting Course and the author of the upcoming new book, Raising Good Humans, a mindful guide to breaking the cycle of reactive parenting and raising kind, confident kids. I'm so excited for you to have this conversation with my recurring guest, Anna Seewald. If you're listening to the podcast, you have heard her before, and she's wonderful. But first, let me just say welcome. Hi, I'm so glad to be in your ears. And if you're new, welcome to the Mindful Mama podcast. So glad you're here. There is a whole backlog of wonderful episodes for you to check out and an amazing guest, including Dan Siegel and campaign and all kinds of wonderful people. And today we are going to be talking about, I think of it as like the holy grail of emotion, of parenting, right? Like the if kids self-regulation, if only our kids could just feel, master their emotions, we would feel a lot better, right? And, and this is something kids need to learn how to do, right? They need to learn how to master their emotions. And so how can we as parents create emotional safety for them to express their feelings without fear? How can we listen to their feelings, show empathy, etc.? So I'm so excited for you to join me at the table as I talk to Anna Seewald. She is the founder of Authentic Parenting. She's a speaker, author, podcaster, and parent educator. And I'm going to be letting you know that she has an event coming up, which is so cool. But coming up in this conversation, I want you to listen for a few key things. When we want to help our children, right, we want to help them be able to deal with their emotions and kind of instinctually, we kind of want to shut it out. But actually coaching our children through dealing with their emotions can be the number one best way to help them, not only in that moment, but in life, right? And you're going to hear about that. You're going to hear about why detachment and not taking things so personally can really change everything. And I want you to listen for the six basic emotional needs that children have that we can look out for. And you'll hear at the end of this episode, that, but I want to let you know now that 
Anna is hosting a conference, if you're listening to this real time, a one-day event, the Authentic Parenting Conference. It's you know bringing together conscious moms and dads who want to raise emotionally healthy children. And it'll be in New Brunswick, New Jersey on Saturday, May 18th, 2019. And for Mindful Mama listeners, we have a special promo code. So you can check it out. The keynote, by the way, is going to be Dr. Laura Markham who is going to be on the podcast later along this year. But she's pretty amazing author and respected leader in this field. And you, you'll get so much out of hearing her. But you can get to get a ticket to learn more, you can go to authenticparenting.com slash conference and use the promo code mindfulmama. That's M-I-N-D-F-U-L-M-A-M-A, mindfulmama, and you'll get $25 off your ticket. Yes. Nice, right? Pretty cool. So I hope that you will check that out. And yeah, let's let's dive into this conversation. It's pretty awesome to talk to Anna. As you can, you'll be able to hear we're good friends. I love her and respect her so much. And she has a lot of great things to say. So and join me at the table as I talk to Anna Seawald. Anna, thank you so much for coming back on the Mindful Mama podcast. Thank you so much. I feel so honored and happy being back. (laughs) I love talking to you, Anna. And today we're going to talk about how to help children master their emotions. And this is like, I kind of think about this as like the holy grail. This is like the angels, the the clouds part, and the angels start to go, ah, you know, when we think about kids' self-regulation, you know, we want them, like, we feel like, I think as parents, in a lot of ways, like, all our problems would be solved if our kids could just get it together and regulate their emotions, right? Like, this is what we are all kind of aiming for. Then life will be smooth, right? Then I will have no problems. This is this is kind of what we think to ourselves. Yeah, right. Like this is this yes. is what we want, right. Yes. So this we're yes. going to talk about, and you have some some tips for us today to do that. Yes, but, yes. I think this is the biggest challenge of parenthood. I at least in my work, in my opinion, in my life, is how to stay calm in the moment. And I know that's the theme of your book too, and how to help our children to deal with their own emotions and you add another element and what to say. I think that's it. That's summarizing the hard work of parenthood. Yeah, yeah. Because when it's good, it's easy. You know, when it's good, it's like great to be plague and all those stuff. So so yeah, we have to kind of dive into these things. And it's hard for a reason because it's not easy for us to regulate our emotions, right? Like I always tend to say these things start with us, right? With our, our modeling, things like this. So when you talk to parents about how to help children master their emotions, where do you start? Do you feel like it starts with us in that same way? Yes, I start with the parent for sure. Yes, but otherwise it won't work. Otherwise it won't work. And I can tell you when I was nine, I was a very explosive and very neurotic kind of kid, very emotional, I guess, as an artistic, creative kid. You, you can label it that way. And I can give you this very brief example of how my parents sort of helped me in this emotional arena. And so what my background was, <laughs> stepping into my parenthood, uh, one day I came home. I remember my mom was in the kitchen having coffee with our neighbor. And I just entered into the kitchen. I said, mom, can I go to the movies with the neighborhood kids? I think I was nine or 10. And she said, no you can't. And I think because she ignored me also, because she was busy with a neighbor, we had three bookcases hung on the wall on top of one another. And I laid down those bookcases and I started kicking very hard. And those bookcases were filled with china, with crystals, with lots of things. Oh my gosh. (laughs) As I am kicking and screaming my you know, I'm throwing this huge tantrum as a nine-year-old, which is so not typical if your parents raised you properly. This is not a developmentally appropriate thing for a nine-year-old to do. So I remember my mother didn't come out of the kitchen, didn't say anything. And then all of a sudden, all of those shelves 
fell down. Somehow I managed to scoot myself and didn't get hurt. And my mom comes out of the kitchen and she says, wait till your dad comes home. Oh no. (laughs) Oh no. (laughs) So that's my emotional upbringing. That's the lesson. And, and I'm not blaming yeah, my parents yeah, yeah, yeah. that there was a lot of love and care and nurturing. Don't get me wrong, but that's my language for emotions. You know, then, then I worked with emotionally disturbed kids later in life. And all before you go back to that, I, I just want to say yeah. that's really typical. Like she was really doing the best that she could in that moment. You know, she was like, OMG. Look what is happening. I mean, if it were me, I would be about to like blow my brains out. I mean, I would be so angry. And she held it together to just say, just wait till your dad gets home. I mean, it was like, it was kind of like a threat. Like she was doing the best that she could do. You know, she held it together to just say, I'm going to postpone my threat to later. So she was kind of using a threat in some ways. But, but yeah, I just, you know, want to yeah, for your mom using her tools to as she best she could. I mean, because that would be a shocking scene to have a a nine year old throwing a tantrum. But it kind of shows that this was those feelings were hard for really hard for you to deal with in that moment. Yes, they were hard to do. And I think I believe when my dad came home, we lied together. You and your mom lied. That's what I remember. <laughs> I didn't get into trouble. For sure. I remember that. But because I believe in my head, I can't remember the details. I believe my mom told a story to cover my act. That's what I remember. As a kid, I took that with me. But my parents were teachers also. You see what I mean? They worked with children. And it was sort of, I would have expected them to know certain things. But the time was different, right? Mm -hmm parenting was different and they didn't have the tools themselves. And if you look at my mom's history, you know, she was born post-war and her mom, her father wasn't present and he was imprisoned in Germany after the World War II and her sibling passed away and everything was hard. So I'm assuming she didn't get whatever she's supposed to get in terms of emotional intelligence from her upbringing. So that's all she could do. And now me as a parent, of course, I stepped into parenthood with a lot more knowledge and resources than my mom. So Mm -hmm. for me, it looked way different. And I know that this is why it's a skill set that we can learn and develop and get a lot better. I see this emotional regulation as sort of the holy grail, like that I kind of talk about that tongue in cheek, but but why is this a good thing, right? So for a culture that's kind of been traditionally, emotions are best not, you know, talked about and not heard and not seen, especially strong emotions would just, you know, take, take care of it somewhere else, that kind of thing. In some ways, there's a question there of like, well, do I want my child to be able to express their emotions freely? That may not sound so good. What's the benefit there? Well, the benefit is multiple fold, I guess. Is that the word? Because you, first and foremost, you get self-awareness, right? Mm -hmm. You are in tune with your own emotions. You know the language of emotions, which enables you to relate to other human beings better, avoid conflict or resolve conflicts better, be more self-aware. And because you're self-aware, you're also aware of others' emotions around you. So you have not only boundaries in place, but you also can relate and help others and engage with other people on a more harmonious way, as opposed to having a lot of conflict, power struggle, internal conflict, it helps us live our lives better to summarize it. The other day, I can tell you an example. A woman came to my office, a 39-year-old woman with her ex. They came for a co-parenting session. Everything was going really well. We were trying to work on communication. And at some point, she just bolted out of her seat He started yelling at her ex, 
used threats such as, I'm just going to punch you in the face, you're a jerk, and that kind of language. Wow. And And she just opened the door without saying anything to me or to him. She just left like that with this huge explosive scene left behind. But that's not emotionally mature, right? Um, She's like stuck at your nine-year-old level or or younger. Yeah. And and this is exactly why we want to help our children to learn the ABCs of this emotional coaching so that they can have better lives, can get along with other people. Because it's not only hurting other people, her actions and her behavior. She's in, in this custody battle, in this court system, but it's also hurting herself. Mm-hmm. Right? First yeah, thing, yeah. she's suffering. She's yes, suffering she's enormously. Su- yes, she's suffering. That is why it's important to help our children. I also want to interject here, too, that like as we move into the future, and a lot is said about uh, there's a lot of worry about what will our children do in the future. There's automation and all, all the jobs are changing, and everything's really different. And the soft skills, like we call this sort of the rather than technical sort of hard skills, the soft skills of relating to other people, being able to do that well, are probably going to be the most important skills possible in a future that's really unknown. And so these skills are not only like just to have a better life and to be a happier human being and to be able to handle the inevitable waves of emotion, but to either even can help our kids with their success too. I absolutely agree. In a workplace, when I say happy and successful, that's what I mean, like globally. And I don't like the term soft skills because it makes it sound as if it's not as important, Mm. which I think is very important. I think the most important. I, for example, am more interested in my daughter having quote unquote soft skills than succeed academically, truthfully. Mm. When I see her report card, I'm interested in her skills, how is she, you know, does she have empathy for other kids? Is she respectful? Does she handle conflict? You know, the math, the gym, the music, it's all good. I think this human social skills is what's important. And we know, Hunter, from the latest research that today's teenagers, today's 15-year-olds have the social and emotional development of uh, that of a six to eight-year-old 30 years ago. And you mentioned wow. you mentioned screens. You mentioned our virtual life and this digital communication. It erodes the human relationship. It it sort of handicaps children in a way that they cannot exercise their social emotional skills because of our current lifestyle and tech and everything. And plus, we also notice in our society impoverishment of relationships in our children's lives. In the past, people lived in villages and tribes and everybody was there to help you with your parenting, but also your child had access to a large group of people Mm. other than the nuclear family to practice their social emotional skills. Today, we don't have that. So our children are growing up with this impoverishment of relationships to begin with. And now more than ever, we need to focus on this emotional coaching, emotional development. I think it's, it's critical. Oh yeah. And, and they're talking about the, the loneliness gap, like one in four people said they didn't have any person they could talk to. And you know, the, the relationship, so it can add like 10 years to your life, whether you're in, you have happy relationships or not. I mean, so this is one of the, the strongest predictors I know. So let's, we are sponsored by Midi Health. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, vaginal dryness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. All of these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around perimenopause and menopause, and the experts at Midi Health understand what you're experiencing and how to help. Midi clinicians are menopause experts dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions. MidiCare is covered by insurance, and with Midi Health, you can stop pushing through it all alone. Schedule a virtual visit to discuss your symptoms and health background in depth. You'll come out of the experience feeling heard and with a plan to start feeling better. You deserve to feel great. 
book your virtual visit at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Joinmidi.com. We are supported by Melon Headwear. These hats are perfect for Father's Day. They are built to be in and around water. They last five times longer than any other hat. They're naturally antimicrobial properties. It doesn't, sweat doesn't break down the hat. No sweat stains, no smell ever. It's built for the water. We tested it tubing on the Brandywine River and it was fabulous. It even floats when it drops in the water. It doesn't lose shape. It is amazing. An incredible, comfortable fit. Use code MINDFUL at checkout for 30% off your order. If you're trying to figure out a Father's Day gift, honestly, trust me, this is exactly what they want. Go to melon.com, that's M-E-L-I-N.com, and use the code MINDFUL at checkout for 30% off. Melon rarely offers discounts, so don't miss this opportunity. It is, I swear, the perfect Father's Day gift. Premium headwear, melon.com. Use the code mindful for 30% off. Let's talk about how, how do we get our kids to be able to master their emotion? What's step one? Where do we start? Yes, besides doing the preliminary work of dealing with our own triggers, trauma, let's just put that aside right? Because you talk about that on your podcast a lot. Let's yeah, focus on the, the foundation. Yes. Let's talk about the kids today. So perhaps we can use an example. Would that be appropriate to deconstruct yeah. on an example? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good. Okay. So our days are filled with lots of examples and not all scenarios with our children. You can practice those skills, right? The, the ones we're talking about. And it's okay I think choosing to address the most important issues when it comes to this emotional coaching is key. That's like premise Mm -hmm. for parents. You don't have to exhaust yourself and try to empathize and validate and do all those things for every situation possible in your parenting. You'll be completely burned out. (laughs) I would say choose wisely, attend to the most important issues and, and you know as a parent what issues your child faces and what are the important ones. The first step would be, let's say, let me give you an example from my life. So my daughter, a couple of years ago, came home and she said, I need a unicorn headband. Well, it starts off like that. I want a unicorn headband. And I said, no, you have so many headbands. I'm not going to get you a unicorn headband, you know, rejection right away. She's like, no, I really want a unicorn headband. And she's like persisting. And then after some time, why do you need a unicorn headband? Blah, blah, blah. Because my friends have it. I want to match. I want to do this. And she was just getting really emotionally worked up about a headband. And I was puzzled. What's going on? But then a few days later, it turned out it was not about the headband at all. She had other issues going on underneath, which at first I didn't see. Our children give us clues. Whatever bothers them, they sort of give us clues. But we sort of miss the first two days of those interpretation of those signs. But when The third day I sat down and I said, come over here. This headband issue seems very important to you. What's going on? She said, well, two friends in her class are together and they both have headbands, unicorn headbands, and I want to be part of that gang. And And in her mind as a child, she thinks if I get a unicorn handband, they will accept me as well. So this was a deeper issue for her to be accepted by this to friends, group of friends. And we talked about it. We analyzed it. Um, you know, in the beginning, what I did is, is listen, a lot of listening. Um, I think the first step is to be present, to be available, to be present and not reject your child with saying, no, I don't want to talk about this. I don't want to hear. That would be first. So we Uh, want to be accepting. We want to accept them. You know, we all talk about, we'd say we want unconditional love. We want to show, but we we have to accept them even when they're being annoying and frustrating as well. Show them acceptance even in those moments, right? Yes, that's that's the first step. And then you could sit there and you could listen. Sometimes 
just the listening by itself can help the situation. It depends how, you know, what stage your child is. Sometimes you can say a few things such as, I know how frustrating it is for you right now, honey, a statement like that, sort of summarizing and validating the experience that the child is going through. But in order to do that as a parent, I have to ask myself, what is this about? What is the underlying emotion that's driving this behavior? What is this unicorn headband about? Acceptance by her peers and things like that. So how does my child feel then? Rejected, not accepted. Oh, now I can use that and validate her feelings. It hurts when two children are, you know, two of your friends are together and you feel like you don't belong. So you could use words like that to illustrate her inner experience, sort of bring it to the surface and make it more palpable. And the child, if it is the right experience that she's going through, she will say yes and and corroborate. If it's not, that's okay too. You can get another shot. You, you know, you sort of hypothesizing this experience. And of course, you're not a mind reader as a parent and you may say something, oh, you're so sad because, you know, they did this and they didn't invite you. No, that's not it, mom. And in that moment, you can say, okay, that's not it. So what yeah, is it? Yeah, they'll you let know, you know real quick if you get it, if you guess wrong. In mindful parenting, we call this reflective listening. Just kind of yes. reflecting back. Active listening. The yes. Feelings, the emotions. Some people call this emotion coaching. Yeah. Yes. And Same this helps thing. enormously because it's like she feels like you see me, you hear me, you get me, right? That is the main thing in that moment. We don't want to come from a place of solving the problem. So there's two parts to this. First is this emotion coaching, emotion listening process. Second is the problem solving. When it comes to the problem solving, I really want to encourage parents to stay away from the process as much as possible and be a little passive facilitators because I want to give the child a chance to come up with her own idea, solution, resolution for her own problem and her own inner conflict. Because when the, imagine you do this wonderful job of listening, validating, empathizing, and sort of creating this emotional safety and helping your child. And then in the end you say, okay, so don't talk to that girl anymore. You offer a solution like that. It just doesn't feel good. You are undoing the wonderful work you've already done. I think the key should be to hand this autonomy to the child and honor her choice, even if she makes the wrong decision, according to you. You can ask, so what are you going to do then next? You know, and she will say, I'm just not going to talk to them, or uh, I don't know, I'll just tell the teacher. Whatever she comes up with in this situation, we need to honor. And that sort of concludes the entire loop of emotion coaching. But let's go back to the coaching again. So stay present, show acceptance with your behavior, speak less, words don't matter. When someone is going through an emotional experience, a tantrum, meltdown, crying, or just talking very upset, we don't want to talk over them or interrupt them. We just want to help them to let it all out. But we want to be present and attuned And we want to have compassion and empathy on our face so that we're present, we're listening. We're not just here, like physically present. You know what I mean? We want to also be emotionally invested in the process. And I think as human beings, we do this so wonderfully and naturally. We do this better with adults than with our kids somehow. I don't know why. But being present, listening, and validating the reflective thinking Mm -hmm you know, escalating what the feeling is and sort of bringing to the surface, making the child feel heard, understood, that that's very comforting for the child. And again, listen a little more and that's it. And it just, it's like a bell curve. Your child will go through the emotion and it will just go down and the child will hit the problem solving phase. And how you know when your child is at that problem solving phase, she will say, okay, mom, can we do this. She will change the subject. She will come up with an idea. 
And at that point, as a parent, you know, we're done with the emotional coaching. This looks different for every age, of course, right? For toddlers, it's different. Uh, with an 11-year-old, it's much different. With a teen, it's a lot different. So based on the age of your child, you know, this emotional coaching looks way different and so how this, much you offer. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm trying to listen sort of from the eyes of someone who's, you know, maybe dealing with a toddler or someone who has a lot of emotions all the time. And it can sound like in a lot of ways, like it's a lot of work up front, right? Like we have to kind of put aside our to-do list for the moment. We might have to turn off the burner on the stove. We might, you know what I mean? Like we have to, mm-hmm. and there might be multiple children around. So like there's a lot of challenges that kind of go along with this, but there's an effort, an effort to be really present and to, to listen and to be accepting, which that can be really hard because our own stuff comes up, our own triggers come up and all of that, those things. But this effort to, I want to, chime in here with the the fact that this effort that you put in this and it's it's not easy to be really present for someone's difficult feelings but the effort you put in pays dividends because your child learns to then they learn that when they're seen and they're heard they can resolve things it's not like these feelings get like shoved down and shoved away and come back in other times like it it does pay dividends down the line in that in that you know, children who are able to have their feelings listened to and heard, they kind of go through this process faster. Not that it's all about efficiency, but they do go through this faster mm-hmm. as they get older. Absolutely. I can, I can say that as a parent in my own child. And also they feel more empowered. They're not afraid of their feelings. All we're doing is normalizing human feelings, human experience, accepting them the way they are, allowing them to feel with a presence of an attuned caregiver. So this process is called co-regulation. And as a result, your child will feel able, capable, empowered, not afraid of feelings. He or she will go through the experience and get out on the other side and and not be scared of the feelings when they rise another time, like a similar situation, because you helped your child. This is a little bit of work in the beginning of parenthood. Uh, but for example, now my daughter is almost 11. I don't do this elaborate work because she has internalized the process already herself. I'm not saying we don't have emotional moments, don't get me wrong. But as you said, it's a lot quicker. She has more self-awareness. She knows that we're there. In fact, she may even bring it up. She would say, mom, can we talk about this? She knows that it's reliable source to go to mom for her complicated emotional things. Also, it builds trust, right? When we do this process with our children, I think it's key. It builds relationship, trust, self-awareness in our children, And it's very not hard to do once you learn. I think we shouldn't be afraid to try. I would encourage everyone to start and see where they have a hard time, what step of the process they have a hard time with. Is it stepping into that process? Is it the staying and listening and seeing your child cry and it makes, you know, evokes feelings in you of abandonment or sadness? Or is it the problem-solving part that you have a hard time? You just want to control and, and stop the process. You know, it can show up many different ways for parents. So having that parental self-awareness can be key as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can think of a couple kind of objections to this that I want to kind of bring in here. But yeah, this this is all that there's that foundation of kind of being, we have to be able to listen to and be accepting and to, you know, validate our own emotions, right? To be able to validate it for our kids, right? To be able to say, it's okay and normal that you're having these feelings and I'm here to listen to you. We have to be able to do that for ourselves too. And so that's like a, that's a whole other podcast. We've talked about a lot of different ways and we talk about in the Michael Parenting course in different ways, but yeah, so we want to kind of step back to that, that, you know, that, that is that foundation, right? It's hard to, if we can't be present with ourselves, it's hard to be present and accepting with our kids. If we can't listen to our own feelings, it's hard to listen to other feelings. If we find it unacceptable 
you know, it's hard to be able to be there. If you take it personally, then it's hard. If you say my child is doing this to annoy me, if you have thoughts around this, maybe, you, you know, we need to do work around that. But seeing your child as that child needs help and guidance and coaching, you know, just reframing sometimes can help. And every situation is different, of course, every parent, but whatever comes up, don't feel like a failure as a parent if you're not able to do it because you need help probably with your own stuff first and foremost. So give that to yourself also before you can give it to your kids. So Anna, what about, I can imagine the the parent who's listening and saying, yeah, this sounds lovely, sure, but how am I supposed to be accepting of anger? Aren't I supposed to not be, I don't want to be accepting of my child's like desire to, you know, hurt another child, right? If my child says, I'm so mad, I want, you know, I want to just tear that school down or whatever, right? So if there's a lot of anger, what do we do then? How do we be accepting of intense, scary feelings like anger? Yeah, it's hard. You may not accept even in your mind, right? It's hard, but you can stop certain behaviors. You can remove your child, perhaps contain him, hold him, whatever will work, take the object from his hand, but not in a very aggressive way. I think here the key is, again, as much as possible, view this as don't get emotionally involved in this process. If it becomes emotionally involved, then it's not going to work. And it's hard. We get triggered very quickly. How dare you say that? How dare you do that? I want to stop that. That may not work. But if you remove yourself sort of emotionally from the situation, if as much as possible, detach yourself and view this as a project that you're helping. Let's say you're a kindergarten teacher. We do this kind of stuff with the children we're not emotionally attached to, right? Mm -hmm. I think that's the key. When we're entangled with our kids, we're intimately, it's hard to maintain that. So yes, you can go and grab the object from the hand and you can say, no, sweetheart, we we don't want to throw this. Or don't even say a thing. Just grab the object in that. When your child is angry, just grab the object and put it aside or Asher the child into a different room when where there is less harm to be done to the child or to the property. There are things you could do sort of to contain the situation. Mm-hmm. And, and it's not going to be like that for 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. I think there is a peak to this behavior. You know, when your child is triggered and angry and explosive, we can exacerbate things if we get explosive. So yeah. we don't want to do that. But if we could help the child to go from that mad to sad a little bit, soften a little bit, they will cry. And once the tears come, I think it's it's a nice situation. It's sort of, we have more control over this situation. Again, yeah. it's a practice. Like we need to find our groove. It's not easy. There's no script. I have struggled with this. But big emotions could be a sign of what's going on with your child, Right. It sounds like there may be something more, right? And I think that listening then to kind of unpeel the onion can be really, really kind of crucial in those moments. I had a, I had a mom, you know, who had a son with special needs in mindful parenting asked me about, you know, she said, you know, he's, he gets so mad that sometimes he says stuff like, you know, I want to blow the school up. And that's scary and that's frightening. And she doesn't, you know, obviously, right? And, it, and what I s- said and what I kind of thought to her about this was like, well, you know, obviously you want to contain that, that behavior. But if you're in a moment where you're in a safe place and he's venting and talking to you, you know, reflecting back to that saying like, oh my gosh, you're so mad. This feels unacceptable to you. This is feel, you feel so, so upset right now can help him like, you know, talk it out a little bit more and help him kind of resolve this issue a little bit more and bring that emotional level down. Yes. I think what you're saying is key. I often give this advice to parents too. Don't 
take at face value what your children say. They're not going to blow up that school. Don't worry. We worry right away. Oh my gosh, my kid is a terrorist. My kid is is a killer. Even if they say, I'm going to kill, I'm going to hurt, I'm going to kill myself. I had a client whose daughter said, I don't want to go to school. I'd rather be dead. I'm going to kill myself. Now, I'm not saying minimize it, take it seriously, but don't take it to heart that they're going to do that. Don't believe in the statement. Look underneath the statement, what drives that, you know, what's underneath this statement. That's what I'm saying. Escalate the emotion. Hear the feeling. What is it? Exacerbated person, hopeless, perhaps, angry and mad that I'm not understood in this school. I might as well blow this up. It's not necessary. That's what I hear underneath. I don't want to address the sentence of, no, you can't do that. That's not a nice thing. Blah, 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 blah. Then you're in a dead gridlock situation, which is not helpful. Always, always look underneath and see the emotion. Yeah. And there'll be time later to say, you know, if we can talk out those feelings, then there's time later to say, hey, when you said that thing, I felt really scared because that is a really serious thing. You know, so we can talk about those those other things after mm-hmm. the intense feeling is kind of passed, like you said, like that bell yeah. curve, like that wave. Yeah, passed. yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Because we all do extreme things when we feel big feelings and threatened. Our threat system is triggered, and so you do and say things. Later, you realize my daughter sometimes says things or does things, and Later, she comes and apologizes. She understands. The other day, in fact, she's like, you're so disrespectful, mommy. You don't do this for me. You know, some silly stuff. The reasoning is not really valid, but she feels disrespected. I don't know if that's her own inner experience. She expressed it that way. She's like, "I, I feel disrespected, mommy. And I didn't even address that at that moment. We didn't have time. This is another thing you can do. We were in the car. We were in a process of moving, I don't have time to address my child's feelings now, but that doesn't mean I can shut her up. So I acknowledge that she has some issues with me and we sort of put a pin on this issue and, and sort of moved on. So I said, it sounds like, you know, there's stuff going on. Like you feel like you're being disrespected, but truthfully right now, honey, I don't think I have the time to talk with you and address this. We have to readdress this topic this is important to me. I don't want you to feel disrespected by me. So I think that was enough to tell her, I acknowledge you. I see you. You're upset with me, but sorry, I'm a human being. We cannot resolve this. And we addressed it later. So that's another point. When you say you're going to do something, do something. And it was okay. She actually apologized and she said, no, I didn't really mean that mommy. I was just upset. And that's why I chose that word disrespectful you're actually a very loving mom. So like she understood that she said that in the heat of the moment. So it's important not to address the words. Yeah. 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 No, I appreciate that. And the acknowledgement piece, just saying that first, rather than just saying, I don't have time for this right now, allowed her to say, okay, I have a couple sort of objections for you that I want to, I want to kind of throw in here because I know that these, these questions come up. So I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of TILT is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. 
On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. The first one is kind of bringing it back to sort of younger kids, right? What if it's big feelings in the grocery store because you can't have the, you know, like gummy bears or whatever, right? So, so what do we do when we're in a really a public place and these big feelings are coming up and we may not have time to be present and listen and problem solve because there's people around who don't want to hear my kids screaming, <laughs> Yes, yes, of course. That is not the right setting. Yes, I wouldn't say do this process with your kid in in a public setting. No, if that moment calls, but again, you don't have to be abrupt and harsh in that moment. You cannot do emotion coaching step by step, but you also don't want to be this harsh, abrupt, which we tend to do in public places. Everybody is watching. So it's like hard to be gentle and compassionate, right? That's a skill I think we can all develop. Like, what can I do? Ahead of time, I would say visualize an ideal situation. How would you like to handle this situation? You know, you're not able to do emotion coaching, but what would you rather do instead? If it's a small child, maybe pick your child up, scoop your kid into your arm, just pat the head head, and, and say something, oh, you're so tired. You know, we're going to go home soon. We're going to go home. And the child is crying and melting down. Maybe that's a response. If your child is like on the floor, throwing a big tantrum, running away, that calls you know, getting again, physically bringing him closer to you so he doesn't hurt himself or, you know, do something in the store. But you don't want to give in, right? You don't want to say, okay, here is a gummy bear. Well, maybe some days you could to avoid a really, really big meltdown. You can say, okay, whatever. We're not buying the gummy bear, but I'd rather buy you this, something more acceptable. Again, you have to be creative in the moment, I say, but practice ahead of time a possible outcome. What would you be able to do in your mind, sort of visualize and rehearse? So when the time is right, you could reach into your toolbox and hopefully practice this mindful approach, but not necessarily emotion coaching step by step, but not being abrupt also. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I hear yeah. you. And and all of this, of course, points back to our own self-care, our own mindfulness to be able to be grounded enough, to not take it personally enough, to be able to say, you know, have that boundary and keep it, like you said, don't give in, is is really, really important. I, I have some uh, family that's close to me where they did give in to a child who had a lot of intense screaming and it was really problematic as she, as she got older. What about the other question I have thinking about sort of objections is what about when we start to listen to and acknowledge and be present for our kids when they have a problem and they're starting to feel heard and then they start to maybe use that for attention and they start to have suddenly have a lot of problems that need a lot of listening to. What might you say to a parent in that situation? Mm, that, that's an interesting question. I would say look at your relationship then at the general quality of your relationship with your child. Why is she feeling insecure in that relationship? That is, is she's feeling insecure that she's asking your this emotional support frequently or perhaps she likes you in that state because you are at most beautiful at most uh supportive way as a mom maybe you can talk about this even you can voice it right i think we all get into patterns with 
anybody we interact with. Um, like my daughter, for example, if she wants to be playful and play with my husband, she starts to annoy him <laughs> to, to this day. <laughs> she does really annoying things and he gets annoyed. And I asked her, I said, why, why do you, you know, like trigger daddy, like he's working. Why do you do all those annoying things? She's like, because I want to play with him. I said, uh-huh. I said, have you tried just asking him directly, daddy, I would love to really play with you. She's like, no. I said, why? Because he's not going to play with me. I said, have you tried? No. I said, you know what, honey? I really think when we come, you know, from this place of openness with other human beings and not feel awkward about our own needs, you know, just try it one day. And honestly, she did try. And what is the result? Sometimes he can say, give me 10 minutes, let me change and we'll go to the basketball court. Sometimes he will say, not right now, I'm really busy. He will set the limit or make an agreement or play with you right now. So she tried the different variations and it works. I think all it takes sometimes is to help the child figure out what is it that they want or need and how they can ask in a different way, not in this ill pattern that they sort of got hardened into, right? You see what mm -hmm. I'm saying? Mm -hmm. See? Yeah, yeah. So like connect, right? Like they're wanting, clearly like they're wanting some of that feeling of being seen and heard, right? So we want to connect with them in other ways and give them that feeling of see being seen and heard in, in positive ways, like maybe playful ways, like, you know, whatever, but give them that, that feeling of seen and being seen and being heard that that obviously was kind of like filling a place, right? Of like, oh, hello. <laughs> Yes, and hel helping them verbalize their inner yeah. workings is key with children, especially as they get older. When they're younger, we can say, oh, you're feeling so sad that your toy broke, right? We're giving, sort of, we're feeding them the emotion and the words. But as they get older, it's kind of complicated what they feel. You don't want to say, oh, honey, you're feeling so upset. She will get mad at me if I said something like that. She will feel like I am being insensitive. You want to help them, again, make sense of their inner experiences and give them tools to verbalize those feelings and give them sort of like the green light. And they're able to do it because, again, it's a practice for them too, right? We don't have all those skills. They're learning it too. Yeah. And this really does, as imperfectly as we do these skills, you know, because we're human, we're not going to be perfect. We're never going to get there. We're going for good enough, right? And but, and I, I say as imperfectly as we do these things, like with my daughter, I really, I was using a lot of like unskillful language. I wasn't hearing her. I was trying to, when she was little, I was like, oh my gosh, stop these horrible emotions. They're freaking me out. I was getting really triggered. And then as I did the work in myself to, first of all, that foundation that, you know, we talk about uh, being able to sit with difficult feelings, mindfulness of, of offering myself compassion, understanding myself, understanding my triggers, and then being able to, you know, reflect back to her to listen to her and do this kind of emotion coaching stuff with her. It's amazing. I mean, I thought, you know, I thought that it's amazing really how sort of grounded and emotionally regulated, you know, she is. She has big feelings and she's able to kind of take care of that. You know, she's just like anyone. She has moments, but it was amazing. I kind of thought she was going to like be, <laughs> I had deep worries, but it really does help enormously to just be able to see and hear these, these feelings and to get that emotional regulation. I mean, otherwise, you know, sort of the old school approaches, stuff it down, stuff it down, stuff it down. And we end up with all the problems that, I mean, I kind of see the people are being unable to take care of difficult feelings because they're unacceptable leads to almost, it's behind almost all of the big problems in the world as I see it. I agree. I agree. So let me briefly mention that in my work, I identify six emotional needs. Hmm. When we view parenting from, from this framework, things become a lot easier. So we all have needs, right? 
physical needs, emotional needs. Physical needs are very easy for parents to identify. It's the hunger, it's the shelter, clothing, diaper, taking your child to the bathroom, giving water, all those things. And we are so able and capable. Most parents are very well attuned to the physical needs of children. However, the emotional needs is hard because of our upbringing. We didn't have this kind of language of needs. We're unaware of our own needs, let alone recognize those needs in our children. But honestly, in my work, when I identify those six needs, those are the reoccurring themes in, around difficult behaviors. So, And they're very important, all of them, in no particular order. So the first one is sense of safety, this emotional sense of safety that we all have. And when we are threatened, we don't feel safe. And so we act and do those things that are challenging for our parents, undesirable behaviors. The second is the need for connection. As we all know, you know our brains are wired. We're human beings. This connection is huge. When children feel that they're connection need is not met, they will let you know. Trust me, you will know with their behavior. They will annoy you. They will defy you. They will resist you. That's not a bad behavior. You know, again, we're looking underneath, underneath of the behavior to escalate what's going on, the need or the feeling. Then they have a need for respect, significance, importance, acceptance, and autonomy. Those are the six I identify. I mean, of course, there is others, but when they're young, the recurring main issues are around those main six needs. And what is the opposite of autonomy? Control. When your child is feeling a lot controlled by a parent, and you may not even recognize that you're controlling, right? Control can have many forms. This is like a whole different topic, but giving your children a chance to exercise their own mind, express themselves, choose, giving them choices, for them to feel like they're in charge, they're making decisions, they're autonomous. It's key. When that is not there, they will defy big time. So look at yourself. Are you telling them what to do? Demands, commands all the time. You know, maybe we need to tone it down a little bit so that we can increase that cooperation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Acceptance, we already spoke about acceptance a little bit. Important. How do they feel important, our children, our actions, our interactions with them? Do they feel as if they matter, their thoughts, their feelings, their inner workings, when they express something, when they share a silly story with us, or they show a toy a million times and say, mommy, look at this, mommy, look at this. How we respond, do we make them feel important? Those are all important things to keep in mind when we interact with our kids. And no child has a sophisticated language of saying, mommy, my autonomy need is not met <laughs> lately, or they give us a hard time. They show with their behavior. So it is up to us really to learn a little bit about those needs and interpret very quickly. You know, the connection need, they are clingy, they are needy. Again, they're running away. They're not listening. Maybe work on connection. Autonomy, if it's not met, they defy you all the time, very frequently. Respect, they are disrespectful towards you, you know, for sure. Connection, again, we talked about, what else? Importance, when they don't feel important, they don't apply themselves. They don't try their hard because it doesn't matter, really. My mom doesn't care or my dad doesn't care. So they play short and, or they're scared of taking risks or uh, failures and they become perfectionistic perhaps like the other spectrum. So paying attention to those needs, I think is key. So how can you identify in day-to-day -day interaction with your children, what need is your child lacking in this moment or what need is he speaking from when he says or does a specific thing? Yeah, yeah. That would be a challenge for, for you, the listeners. Kids who act badly feel badly. So let's look at these needs. Safety, connection, respect, 
significance, acceptance, and autonomy. I love this. Thank you so much, Anna, for sharing these with me and, and the listener. And I love this. I mean, so we talked about the benefits of mastering emotions, how to emotion coach, how to listen through the emotions, some of the, the challenges and things that come up. This is, is going to be an incredibly valuable episode. And I encourage you to listen again, dear listener. I'm sure you'll get more out of this. Anna, where can uh, people find out more about you and what you're doing in the world? Oh, and the conference. We want to share about the conference that you're going to be doing. So if you're listening to this in real time, you can check out Anna um, and meet Anna in person at her conference. So I'll let you tell you tell them. <laughs> yes, May 18th. It's a Saturday here, New Brunswick, New Jersey, Authentic Parenting Conference. We're bringing mindful mothers and dads. We have some dads who registered, which I'm very happy about. We have our keynote speaker is Dr. Laura Markham, author of Happy Peaceful Parent, Happy Kids. I'll be speaking about emotions and we have facilitators and other speakers. The whole theme of the conference is twofold. What we're talking about, basically, the parent, we're going to help the parent to become calm, mindful, and uh, respond rather than react. We're going to do role plays and activities to help the parent walk away with like real skills and not just lectures. <laughs> and the second part is how we can listen to our children's feelings once we mastered or learned some of the skills to remain calm. And that's the main theme of this conference. We have a coupon code, actually, a promo code for mm. your audience. Oh, Mind cool. That's Mindful Mama. If you go to Authentic Parenting Conf authenticparenting.com forward slash conference. You can read about the conference. And if you purchase your ticket at checkout, enter the coupon code mindfulmama and you'll get $25 of a single ticket. And Yay. I would love to meet anyone who is from your crowd. <laughs> yay, yay. So go meet Anna. I'm so excited that you're having this conference. I won't be able to go. I was I was hoping to go, but I, I'm not going to be able to go because I'm going to be on a silent retreat. So you all will be talking and talking and talking, and I will just be totally silent the whole day. <laughs> you can imagine me there. Um, oh, so we'll my goodness. Yeah, this is so cool. So say the URL again. I know. AuthenticParenting.com forward slash conference. If you go to my website, AuthenticParenting.com, Dot com. You can see a tab conference. There's a picture in the homepage, so you won't miss it. Yes. Okay. All right. Slash conference. So cool. So wonderful. Anna, thank you so much for doing this. And thank you for your generosity, sharing your message and, and being part of this transformation. You affect so many and, and it's incredible. The, the ripple effects that Probably you don't even, you know, we don't even see, but I'm, I'm, I know that they're there and I know that I'm so happy that you're my friend anyway. And I, I love you dearly. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Likewise. Then I feel so appreciative of your kind and generous heart, giving me space and being my friend. And you are the inspiration for my conference, actually. <laughs> so if, again, if it doesn't go well, you to blame. I'm just kidding. So you are inspiring people, parents, and you know other educators and people who do this work. So thank you so much for what you do. And it's just so fantastic that we have connected in this world. I truly value relationships. I, I really do. So thank you. Hey, thank you so much for listening. I hope that you enjoyed this episode. I love that we got to fit in. Oh my gosh, those six emotional needs. Those were so great there at the end, don't you think? Yeah, we need to watch out for these, right? We need to be checking in because everything we do, we do to meet some kind of need and that's the same for our kids too. So remember that you can go to Anna's conference, the Authentic Parenting Conference, Saturday, May 18th, 2019 in New Brunswick, New Jersey. And the keynote speaker is Dr. Laura Markham. And for you, you get $25 off a ticket. If you use the promo code MINDFULMAMA, just go to AuthenticParenting.com slash conference and you can use that code. That's MINDFULMAMA code. I wish I could be there. Like I said, I'm going to be 
silent all day long. You can tell how much I like to talk. It's going to be tough for me to be silent, I think. I'll let you know how it goes, the silent retreat. <laughs> all right. So I'm wishing you a beautiful week. If you have questions, you're always welcome to email me at hunter at mindfulmamamentor.com. Uh, reviews of the podcast help so enormously wherever you listen. You might listen to it on Apple Podcasts or on Stitcher or whatever. You know, leave a review for the podcast and share it. If you thought this episode was helpful, it is such a great uh, help to us, um, myself and the team that puts on this podcast for free each week to, you know, it, it costs us time and effort and energy and, and money and all those things. And you can help support that effort by sharing it. Really pretty simple. If you got a, something out of this episode, share it with a friend, you know, take a screenshot, text it to your friend, you know, share it on Instagram, on social media and Facebook and stuff too. But um, and really word of mouth is so such a great way to share the episode. And it means so much to me and, and the rest of the team. We all appreciate it enormously. All right. So I am wishing you an emotionally balanced, beautiful week. I can't uh, wait to come back and talk to you again. Next week, we're going to have a really amazing guest. Uh, we're going to be talking to Jessica Leahy, and she is the author of The Gift of Failure. Really, really powerful conversation. So I can't wait for to join you, um, for you to join me for that. So remember, the podcast comes out every Tuesday. So subscribe and share it and all that good stuff. All right. I'm wishing you a beautiful week, my friend. Namaste. Do you put yourself last? Do you feel guilty for taking care of yourself or going to the gym or making time for meditation? It's time to let go of this harmful mommy martyr mindset. It's time to reclaim your time, your sanity, and the energy that you bring to the world and your family. I'm so excited to let you know that I'm offering a free live training called the Unmartyr Yourself Challenge. And over four days, you're going to learn to make time for yourself, speak your truth skillfully, destroy mommy guilt, and improve your relationships and thrive without ever being selfish. So I hope you'll join us. It's at mindfulmamamentor.com slash unmartyr. That's mindfulmamamentor.com slash unmartyr, U-N-M-A-R-T-Y-R. As soon as you sign up, you'll get instant access to the Unmartyr Yourself self-care assessment. It's a powerful, eye-opening exercise where you'll assess your physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, and relationship needs. Join the Unmartyr Yourself Challenge now at mindfulmamamentor.com slash unmartyr. I can't wait to see you there. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play, and we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips.